Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to The Checkout. It's a podcast. Hopefully you've subscribed to it already on Spotify and Stitcher and also on our homepage at wbgo.org, checkoutjazz.org. That's where all of our shows are archived. And I'm your host, Simon Ratner. Right now we're listening to the latest, maybe the greatest, from Ontario's Bad Bad Not Good, Talk Memory. Well, I have some fond memories talking to BBNG more than seven years ago, can you believe that? We covered their unlikely story to prominence and rise to internet stardom. For those of you who don't know their story, they're basically four jazz-trained kids from Toronto, Canada, in their late teens becoming the go-to house band for many hip-hop stars. And they did this by covering artists in their apartment like Tribe Called Quest, Nas, and Tyler the Creator, and with the power of social media, they became famous before even landing a record deal. If you're interested in hearing that story, we'll link to it on our website at checkoutjazz.org. Now we fast forward to today, and the group will be soon entering their early 30s. But they still continue to dodge the trappings of the traditional music industry. And now they are certainly, without a doubt, wiser than ever before. Because in all of their whirlwind of success, they haven't released an album in five years. Well, we'll get to the bottom of that and what actually happened with the band as we speak to two of its members, the bassist Chester Hansen and the saxophonist Leland Witte, and they also play keys all over Talk Memory too. The maturing of Bad Bad Not Good 2.0, that's up next. This is The Checkout. I'm Simon Redner. Hi, this is Nate Chenin. And I'm Greg Bryant. We're the hosts of Jazz United, a podcast from WBGO Studios. Join us for season two of Jazz United wherever you get your podcasts or at WBGO.org. BBNG, Bad Bad Not Good, joins us. And we have on the line the bassist Chester Hansen. We also have the multi-instrumentalist Leland Witte. They're also composers. Thank you guys for talking to us again. Coming back on the show after all this time, uh, all the ups and downs, the roller coaster of life, through the pandemic thick and thin. Are you guys stronger on the other side? Yeah, I hope so, yeah. I mean, that. That's the goal. (laughs) You haven't come forth with a statement in five years, as I mentioned, and now that time has finally come that duration of time in the middle where we were waiting for something, you sort of needed that time. Take a step back and refocus, maybe internally. 
maybe you guys had an identity crisis. I'm not sure, but you you tell me. Maybe you guys all fell in a ditch together. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I kind of think it's all of the above, like uh, everything you just said. Until like a few years ago, I feel like we were just going completely going with the flow and like whatever came our way we were we were doing whether it was touring or recording or collaborating or and I think after our last album we ended up on the road for two or three years consecutively but it, it also put us into a pattern where we weren't really creating on the side because we were just kind of putting all our energy into into touring and I think that reached a point where we all of us sort of got tired in different ways of it and needed a little break so we did that for a while and then everyone was kind of doing their own projects was that around 2019 when you guys all took a break yeah probably like end of 2018 into 2019 um and you guys were just basically in short like burnt out right yeah like Chester said it, i mean kind of burning out from playing the same music for like three plus years It had also been a very long time of kind of just doing the record tour cycle back and forth. So, um, yeah, I think it was like super important just to like take space and work on other projects and get inspiration. Um, but also during that time, our former piano player, Maddie left the band. So that was kind of like another thing that kind of like forced <laughs> an extended sort of break and, and kind of like recalibrating everything and what a big event i mean matthew Tavares obviously had a hand in every aspect of your sound from the very beginning in 2010 when you guys formed from writing the compositions to even helping with the design of the album art and, and engineering and stuff as well yeah. That's right. Absolutely, yeah. Obviously, that came as a bit of a shock to the community and your fans when that happened. And quite frankly, I still hear keyboards and piano on the new album. So it's like, is that the ghost of Matthew Tavares? Uh, no, but it's, it's James Hole, right? It's actually uh, Chester. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, the last album, um, the last two or three years, Maddie was already kind of getting burnt out on the road stuff, like even before we did. So we came to a decision that we'd just get someone else to play. Uh, so we got, we asked our friend James to join us. That was another like real challenge for us is to figure out like what what are we gonna do in the studio and like how are we gonna fill in those elements like musically and personally and artistically and everything. So yeah, on the last record, me and Leland just ended up playing all the <laughs> all the keyboards, which was really fun.
So in a way, uh, the pandemic came during an advantageous time as you're trying to reset and rethink everything. And then you're just like, yo, there's the dopest arranger, orchestral, you know, writer from Brazil that, that never gets his due that is now, he'd just be on all our entire record. Arthur <laughs> Verakai, what's up? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy because uh, the timing was really lucky for us to do the, we, we finished all the rhythm tracks, right, literally like first week of March, 2020. <laughs> and then everything just went crazy. And, but we luckily had all these songs. So we just thought about how we could finish it and like make it come together. And then we had done a show with Verakai a few years ago in Sao Paulo. And he's just like an amazing guy. Obviously we've been, massively influenced by his music uh, but also just meeting him as a person was really really cool and yeah we reached out and he sent back what you hear on the record And so he just like assembles his orchestral players in his home studio in Brazil and just sends you like basically fully mastered parts or how does it even work? This was sort of the easiest collaboration that we've probably ever done via email. But yeah, he, uh, I mean, he has a, a pretty large extended network of musicians that he tends to work with. But um, yeah, this was like a six piece string section. You guys know the Arthur Verakai tracks came through in the email and you're like, oh, you know, bleep. And you guys obviously are all coming together, waiting for that anticipation. And then you hit play and you hear the stuff for the first time. Can you take us to that moment, uh, you know, when you hit City of Mirrors? Yeah, I mean, that one is probably like the wildest arrangement too, like the most um, like adventurous writing on his end uh, c compared to like all the other, other arrangements that he uh, blessed us with. But <laughs> yeah, so that one kind of blew my mind. Like it really sounds like a uh, a developed version of himself. Like even though he, like the music that he made in the '70s is absolutely incredible, it's cool to hear like almost 50 years later that there's still kind of like development and like he's searching for new things at that at that time. And um, and you can hear like a lot of like maybe more almost like Duke Ellington or like kind of like more jazz based influence in, in that song in particular. It's just incredible how his strings also just um, serve as this, it, they're like the drums or the bass, like they can just go into anything and make it sound better. Mm -hmm. We've been lucky to work with so many incredible artists over the years and we don't generally have any bad experiences with you know like sending something and getting something back that we're not stoked on just because we 
we we already know what you know what the artist is gonna do basically or something like it um, but this was like i've never trusted a collaborator more to send something to them just via email <laughs> you should do you just go to badbadnotgood.com and link your phone up with their qr code and it's actually pretty dope <laughs> <laughs> i've never been able to use my phone as a remote control as i watch bad bad not good music videos and you can immerse yourself in this music including this track beside april which is uh, a nod to the very first filmmaker, you could say, of all time, by the name of Edward Muybridge. Did I say that right? Ed, do you know how to say this guy's name? <laughs> I'm not sure. The Horse in Motion, credited as the first motion picture ever taken in the late 1800s of a horse. beginning of this video i had no idea there was even a, a horse involved I just these kids running after something to the backdrop of beautiful mountains so who's the film buff here for this we kind of just wanted to send the music to a bunch of different directors and totally let them do their thing and provide like little to no direction i guess similar to what we do with fair guy um because we yeah, we just reached out to people that we liked what they had done previously, and we uh, talked to them a lot via Zoom. And uh, yeah, so Beside April is like an example of that. Like we sent it to the director, and she like gave us uh, a really interesting treatment, and then uh, went through a few phases, and then um, became what you see today. I guess it was like kind of inspired by like um, dressage. Um, dressage is basically like a like I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's kind of like a art form of horses kind of dancing and <laughs> syncing up with music, which is a pretty like I hadn't heard about that before. Alex brought it to our attention, and it's like such a I don't even understand how they can pull it off. Um, we had the idea to do that for this music video, but I think like trying to line up a whole film production in a like it was all shot in beautiful countryside of Georgia and um it was often used with like classical music but like I don't know it's worth looking up and checking out because I'm sure like 
me a year ago like you've probably never seen anything like it but they can do these like synchronized things where they're kind of like hopping and moving around to the to music and it's like a competitive sport sort of thing <laughs> you guys have such incredible interesting varied lives i mean you were just performing the after party at the at the met gala with Virgil Abloh, he oversees the designs operations of Louis Vuitton, in addition to being a DJ, in addition to being uh, a music, you know, everything else that he does. And so these are artists, influencers that have millions upon millions of, of people that follow them and their work. But this is like common for you, where you're finding yourself in these uh, bizarre inspiring incredible collaborations ever since the very beginning um and it just continues it's sort of like you are the, you have this reputation now of of being able to rope in these these folks so it's obviously hard to say no right if if an invitation comes from these people you can't say no right you just got to keep going that must equate with burning out is basically my question, right? How do you say no to stuff? Well, I guess like in the case of this recent thing that we did and the previous thing we did with Virgil, which was like the Louis Vuitton fashion show, um, those were like, those are very anomalous things for us. <laughs> like we we almost never do um, events like that. So I think it was very just exciting and new and cool that this like, person who is so well established in a totally different world than us um is just like a music fan and like likes what we're doing and wants to wants to have us play um and i think the yeah the different the element that maybe contributed to us getting tired of the road was just like just doing our own you know regular <laughs> shows where we we would just like the whole year just be going around to different places and uh, when you say it back now it's like oh that sounds amazing and and it is really amazing for sure but um there are elements of it like over time that i think just get a little intense what does burnout look like is that eating like hamburgers at 4 a.m is that <laughs> is that drinking is that drinking too much vodka one night is that is that getting tangled with the wrong uh woman on a on a, in a, in, a, in a weird city, touring is just like hard in general in any capacity. I think like That's just traveling, true. not sleeping, not knowing what kind of food or whatever, not being able to exercise, like all these aspects, and like you know, like constantly like loading in and loading out, and not having like a proper bed to sleep in or whatever the situation is. But I think ultimately, like, and I think all of us to maybe various extents really love traveling, and I like. For me personally, like having the purpose of performing music is kind of like the best way to travel, in my opinion, because it gives meaning to where you're going and kind of like a foot in the door of like being in these cities and kind of knowing what to experience or whatever. But um, yeah, I think maybe the hardest thing is just losing your sense of like home life and like losing connection to like loved ones at home. So um, I mean, maybe that's like a wholesome, boring answer, but that's I feel like that's kind of what it is. <laughs> No, that, that, that I totally agree with that. Um, I'd also add that I think we've always uh, admired 
like our, our favorite at least for me my favorite shows to go to are the shows that you can really tell that the band or the artist um wants to be there you know and is like really um feeding off the whether it's like it doesn't have to be exciting music but they're you know in some way they're uh having this communion with the crowd where they're like picking up on that energy and like giving it back um so i think there was a point where i noticed at least myself being not not as like present or kind of putting out as much energy as i would like to on stage and then that was one of the signs for me where i was like well maybe we maybe i need you know a little bit of time away from this well you guys are known for uh, as far as i'm concerned um your ensemble playing and i'm always in awe of how interconnected you guys sound and how intentional each note is which is often rare like honestly in a lot of even instrumental music you don't get that i'll always remember seeing you at the cape town international jazz festival and i think like those deaf showed up right yeah we uh we got to play a few songs with with him uh yasin bay which was incredible that's right i see he's yasin bay then but that show was like you guys closed the festival and it might have been like the best thing i saw there that year i don't even know what year that was 2016 i think <laughs> this is leland witty's sort of opus i feel like or one of his opuses on the record called unfolding momentum 73 featuring laraji this arpeggio circular breathing kind of figure thing that is just as hypnotizing as Laraji's soothing vibes I think take us inside of that track like this one for example is the same three chords the entire time that are sort of like outlined by that arpeggio you mentioned um, and then like there's a simple melody over it but it's almost like this I guess like a contemporary version of like a almost like George Gershwin kind of <laughs> harmony in a way, which like I feel like would never have been a source of inspiration for like our compositional approach. But um, George Gershwin, trying, I love it. <laughs> having it on like on a woodwind instrument, the like way, <laughs> the way the like the harmony, um, it kind of, at least for me, it kind of like draws back to that kind of era of, of music. We recorded that as a trio and then um, yeah, Laraji playing on it after the fact was like, just brought this kind of like really soothing cloud-like energy over the whole thing, which um, I think really helped balance out the uh, slight aggressiveness of, I mean, it's not really an aggressive track, but like, you know, like some of, some of the chaotic elements of the improvising. How many takes does 
does it get to get like a solo like that where it feels like basically every note is right? Like honestly, the cool thing about this record was that we were so, we kind of wrote the music all fairly um, soon to recording it and we rehearsed it a ton. Like we spent a whole week in Joshua Tree prior to actually recording it, just, just jamming kind of like for hours every day. Um, so by the time we got to the studio, we are kind of ready to hit it. Um, and I feel like none of the songs are more than, I'd say most of them are like between two and five takes, maybe. <laughs> we try not to overthink things. We wanted it to be like kind of as organic and raw as possible. You guys obviously share the songwriting credits. That's probably more political or, you know, diplomatic than anything. It's probably much more like confusing than that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, uh, if you tried to analyze a lot of the songs, it'd be like, this person said we do this thing, and then this person was like, change that chord, and then, well, for this album, it was interesting because we, it was the first time we weren't all in the room for like the writing of basically every song. I guess two on the album were like ones that I wrote um previously uh beside april and timid intimidating i was just like making <laughs> songs on my computer uh with like my guitar and effects pedals and different stuff um i kind of wanted to write something that was like very uh rock influenced i guess because <laughs> we've we've all shared like a love of classic rock and like jazz fusion and all kinds of like heavier sorts of music for since we started so this record honestly does remind me of like early santana kind of jazz <laughs> yeah we we were all listening to like mahavishnu orchestra and stuff like that in the exactly the mahavishnu all over it amazing <laughs> What Mahavishnu track were you guys all peeping at the same time while making this? Um, kind of like all of Birds of Fire. Nirmanic Flame, uh, yeah. Flame. I was always like a Visions of the Emerald Beyond. Like, I don't yeah. know. That album makes me cry. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like it just brings me back to being like in high school and having that. It's like one of those records that I like really yeah, missed. So, um, kind of coming back to it now is like, I don't know, when you use your like childhood influences <laughs> nowadays, it seems like there's like a bit more depth or meaning or weight mm -hmm. to it or something. You know? Were you smoking as much weed as I was when I was listening to that <laughs> record in high school? Oh. That's the question. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, that, that record's funny because I feel like when I was super into that stuff, I mean, I'm still into it, but particularly when I first discovered it, I, I was, I definitely could not play the songs properly, but it was still amazing. <laughs> Mm -hmm. 
the last track on the album uh, brings a bunch of these collaborators together for you. Uh, well, maybe two. Terrace Martin and Brandy Younger talk, meaning, and Arthur Verakai. We can't forget about him. Let's listen to this. figure and this does transport me to actually your live concerts where you just kind of lose yourself into the into the music into the tunes where you just give yourself to it all lay in this groove super deep i can i can hear this as a 20 minute track <laughs> yeah it's it's funny because uh i mean leland can speak to this more but uh this was something that um i think him and alex worked on um and I, I believe Leland wrote like the main chords and stuff. Um, so when I heard it originally, it was more of like an electronic sound, um, like super hypnotic like beat almost. And then we thought it would be kind of cool to play as like a jazz thing. <laughs> So it kind of like kind of keeps you in that sort of dancey kind of vibe, which is why initially it was like almost like a house sort of vibe. But um, yeah, I think like the song starting off with the bass on this version, it, it's like one of my favorite bass tones kind of like I've ever I've ever heard. Um, Chester's got that beauty warmth in his fingers. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Funny thing about you mentioning it being like you could hear it for 20 minutes is that. Uh, I guess this was written a little prior to the recording it, but we had a chance to like actually play it live and it's like such a fun and simple thing to like share with other musicians. So like we played it in Chicago where we did some shows with different bands from like the International Anthem record label and just kind of invited various musicians to come and play. And it's like the fact that Terrace Martin played on the recording, he also uh, he kind of like made the joke about it when we were recording it that like we'll finally have something to play together when we like see cross paths on the road. Um, so yeah, there you go. You guys must be thrilled beyond belief because you guys have uh, a tour finally coming up to burn yourselves out again. <laughs> no, just kidding. A North American tour hitting Brooklyn, New York City, March 16th at Brooklyn Steel, no less. Uh, an amazing venue. So you guys must be super thrilled to finally get your lives back a little bit more normal hopefully a little more balanced too though yeah yeah i mean each year we do this like we just learn a lot about ourselves and how we should 
function as a group, and I think it's going to be an overwhelmingly positive experience. Composition entitled "Talk Meaning" from the recording "Talk Memory" by Bad Bad Not Good. We thank Leland Witty and Chester Hansen for joining us on today's show. And like I said before, go to their website right now and use your phone, scan it, use it as a remote control, and watch their videos. And while you're there, definitely. Check out their massive touring schedule. I know they're coming to New York in mid-March. Maybe there's some other dates in your area. And as far as this show, we have a social media handle on Twitter at CheckoutJazz. You can find me on Instagram at Simon Retner. And if you do subscribe to the podcast, definitely give us a rave review if you can. Five stars, five stars. The Checkout is a production of WBGO Studios. I'm Simon Rettner. Thanks for checking us out. This has been a WBGO Studios production. To learn more about WBGO Studios' award-winning podcasts, special concerts, live streams, and more, visit wbgo.org studios.